This is Pastor Scott. My name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church, and along with Reagan Gilliland, who's also one of our associate pastors, we get to co-pastor this worship service that we call Thrive, and we are so glad that you are with us this morning wherever you are, whether you're at home or in, uh, in a house, in an apartment, on break at work. Maybe you're watching this after the fact that we're glad that uh, we were able to be with you today, and we hope that this morning blesses you, and, and I hope that what you're about to hear blesses you. As well, we are talking about generosity. We're in our sermon series for this Easter season, right? Easter is not just a day, it's a whole season in the Christian calendar. We are in a series called Become the Gospel, where we are talking about how we, as Easter people, can move from simply talking about our faith or thinking about our faith to living out our faith, becoming the gospel in the world around us. And so, we're looking at some of the teachings and actions of Jesus, especially the ones that we find challenging. And today, we have a challenging text. Uh, It comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, beginning in chapter 6, verse 27. And maybe you've heard these words before, but I wonder if you've heard them in the context of generosity. Jesus is going to teach us about what it means to truly love all people, even the folks that we're not really sure about. But what we need to know is that in chapter 6 of Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus is in the middle of what we call his Sermon on the Plain. It's a very important time of teaching in Jesus's ministry, and, and just before he says what he's about to say, he's talking about the economic inequity that he sees in the world and people around him. He, he talks about how the kingdom of God is a place where equality and equity are real, and that includes includes eradicating poverty. And so uh, the gospel, the good news might be hard news for those who have amassed wealth in their resources, and it's good news for those who are living in poverty and oppression. And so it'd be natural for us to ask the question, what does the kingdom of God look like when, when we begin to live that way? How, how do we as Christians live in a way that helps to usher in that kind of a kingdom vision? And that is what I believe Jesus is talking about when he begins to talk about loving your enemies. So I'm glad you're with us this morning. I hope you're ready to be challenged. I hope you're also ready to be inspired as I've been this week, as I've been wrestling with this text. Let us know that you're with us. I see our chat. Hey, Emily Fry. Molly says hi. Hey, Molly, it's good to see you. Uh, I see Rosie Morales on there. Hey, Dwayne. Hey, Sarah, Pastor Sarah. Hey, Jenny. Hey, Patty. Hey, Kay. Uh, Let us know that you're with us. Let us know that, that uh, if there's any ways we can be in prayer for you, and you can also always reach out to one of our pastors in a private message, and we have a, a dedicated email also for private prayers too. So um, without any further ado, let's read the Gospel of Luke beginning in chapter 6, verse 27, and it should appear on your screens. It's, Jesus says this, but I say to you who are willing to hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other one as well. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks. And don't demand your things back from those who take them. Treat people, no qualifiers, people, in the same way that you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, Jesus says, why should you be commended? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, 
Why should you be commended? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those whom you expect repayment, why should you be commended? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be paid back in full. Instead, Jesus says, love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. If you do these things, you will have a great reward, maybe not the one you expect. He says the reward is this, you will be acting the way children of the most high act. For God is kind to ungrateful and wicked people. Be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. The word of God for the people of God, let us say thanks be to God. Amen. So in today's message, I want to assert that this passage that we've just read, while it doesn't explicitly mention the word generosity, is really about the generous lifestyle that is born out of walking humbly and closely with Jesus. Now, it's not just about money. Jesus mentions finances, and that's a primary aspect of generosity. Um, And generosity is about more than just our money as well. Let's unpack together what Jesus is calling us toward as Christians who seek to become the gospel in generous ways. So first, this first section where Jesus says, I say to those who are willing to hear. First, I love that he opens with that line. I say to those who are willing to hear. Jesus knows that what he's about to say is going to be hard to hear for most and going to be hard to follow for even more. He says this, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And he goes on to talk about the way that looks, turning our cheek, offering our shirt. When I hear Jesus teaching us in this way and offering this extremely challenging view of others in the world, especially those whom we don't necessarily like, I hear this. Jesus calls us to more than normal friendliness. We are called to a generosity that is radical, Jesus calls us to more than normal friendliness. We're called to generosity that is radical. So care for the neighbor, right? Loving your neighbor, that sounds nice, but it's something that most people agree about. We should care for our neighbors. We should love our friends and family. We should love those within our community. We should love those that love us, right? We should care for the people around us whom we love. That's a common belief that that crosses all sorts of cultures and faiths, and it was a popular belief even in Jesus' time. That's not the challenging part of his teaching. Even the Essenes, now this was a sect of Judaism living at the same time as Jesus, kind of like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, if you've heard of them. The Essenes even went further than that, and and they said, not only should we love our neighbors, we should try to turn our enemies into our friends. Right, now that's, that's pretty good. You should, you should seek to turn your enemies into friends, but Jesus says not even that goes far enough. Jesus takes this generous lifestyle to a radical place. Notice who Jesus uses as examples of the recipients of our generosity. It's not our friends or our neighbors or the people that we like or agree with, but it's our enemies, those who, that, those who intend us harm, those who overstay their welcome, those who take more than they need. Have you ever seen someone take the whole bowl of Halloween candy on someone's front porch? That's the kind of people that Jesus says we need to extend generosity to. Now, it's hard for me to teach this passage and, and, to teach what I, and to say what I just said without quickly mentioning that Jesus is not 
calling us to a life of no personal boundaries. Say amen, somebody. Because especially in relationships that can grow abusive or toxic or generally harmful, this is a passage meant to inform the way we generally walk through the public sphere in our world. This is not meant to inform individual interpersonal relationships, right? This is how we as Christians are called to walk through the world around us and to exist publicly, faithfully, generously in the public sphere. Now, I also want to say this, that we're a church here at Lover's Lane that I think exudes this kind of generous lifestyle. We have become the gospel in recent weeks in this brand of generosity, primarily through our incredible food ministry. Now, I can brag on this because I feel like I've had very little to do with this incredible work that Randall and Stan and Sarah and so many others have been working on. But, you know, when, when COVID-19 and, and, the, and the sheltering in place orders began to take effect, we as a church, like many churches, realized there was a great need emerging in both our our community and neighboring communities for sister churches around us, and that need was food insecurity. And so we are a church that is connected, and we have networks, and we have resources to spare, and so we wanted to put those resources and connections into helping solve this crisis, and we've done so through providing produce and rice and beans to over 11,000 people, almost 50,000 pounds of food have been delivered into the hands of people who need them. We have volunteers who are willing to faithfully and safely package the produce and rice and beans into bags and then to hand them out in a drive through line or take them to sister congregations. This past week, the drive through line I heard at the church was snaking through the parking lot all the way down into Northwest Highway and down the road. Now, I I talked to Pastor Sarah this week, and I said, hey, out of curiosity, are we asking people how much they need? If they they ask for an extra bag or two, what, what do we say? And she said, we give it to them. We don't ask them who it's for to show us proof that it's a family or friend, a family member or a friend who's in desperate need. We don't ask them for any sort of notarized form or anything. If they say, hey, could I have an extra bag? Can I have an extra two bags, an extra three bags for my family, my friend, my, my elderly relative? Could, could I have some more? We, we gladly give it out. And, and now, if you're an analytical type like me, you might be thinking, but Scott, how do we know? What if that person, what if the the recipient of our generosity is abusing that generosity? What what if they're taking more than they need? What if they're hoarding the food? What if they're reselling it at a higher price to people in need? And I hear what Jesus is saying this week to me. I hear what Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, and, and I ask a different question. I say, what if a child eats this week who wouldn't have otherwise? What if a family has access to fresh produce and healthy foods that they wouldn't normally have access to? What if somebody who's elderly doesn't have to go to the grocery store where they could be exposed to a virus that poses them significant risk? What if the generosity works? I think Jesus' point about radical generosity is that, of course, there are people who will always abuse radical generosity. But if we become a people who adopt a scarcity mindset and a protection mindset of, well, we don't want to be too generous because then someone might take advantage of it, then Jesus says we've defeated the purpose. The purpose of generosity is not to make sure that everybody follows your rules. The purpose of generosity is to be generous. And that goes into the second portion of Jesus' teaching where he says, 
So what, basically? So what if you love those who love you? So what if you do good to those who do good to you? So what if you lend money to people who you know are going to pay you back and probably with some interest, right? That in itself doesn't necessarily make you a good person. Everybody is nice to people who are nice to them. Everybody loves the people who love them, right? But Jesus says, what I'm asking you to be is something more. I'm asking your generosity to be greater than that. Jesus, in the second portion of our text, calls us to more than what do I get out of it thinking. Jesus calls us to more than what do I get out of it thinking. We are called to a generosity that is selfless. Jesus says when, we're, when we get outside of ourselves, it's about more than us. It's about more than what we think we're going to get out of this. When we are generous people, we don't need to be uh, crunching the numbers and thinking about how is this going to come back and bless me? How is this going to make my life better? Is karma true? Do, do I get what I put out there? Is all this generosity going to come back into my life? Jesus says if those are the questions that you're asking, you're asking the wrong questions. I think about my own home life. I've got a four-year-old daughter at home named Andy Jane. And parents of four-year-olds know that this is true. I can't get her to do anything without incentivizing her first. Somebody say amen, right? I can't get her to brush her teeth, to take off her pull-up and change into underwear, to get ready for a walk, to clean her room, to eat her breakfast, to eat her lunch, to eat her dinner, to hurry up, to slow down. Anything I want her to do, I need to dangle a carrot, not a carrot, candy, in front of her face and say, please do this and you'll receive this reward, right? Now, when I think about my daughter, I also think about the words of the Apostle Paul when he's writing to a church that he loves, and he says, you know, at one point in my faith, I thought and I reasoned and I acted like a child. But as I've grown older, as I've grown in a deeper relationship with Jesus, I now think and act like an adult, like a more mature person in my faith. And I think this is a portion of text where Jesus is really calling us to maturity of faith that says, I don't need to be incentivized to be generous. I don't need to be told what I'm going to get out of this, what kind of reward, tangible reward I'm going to get if I'm a good, generous person. I want to put it out there knowing it may never come back to me, but the world and my neighbors who include everybody, even the people I can't stand, the world is a better place because of it. Can we adopt a selfless generosity like Jesus is preaching. We're called to a generosity that is selfless. Now, Jesus does offer something of a reward, but it's not the one we might think. Jesus is not going to pay our rent. Jesus is not going to bless us with financial fortune. Jesus is not going to give us a fleet of fancy cars. But Jesus does say there is a reward in this, even if it's not what you may have expected. Did you hear what it was? He says, if you do these things, if you love your enemies, if you do good, if you lend to other people, and you do all these things expecting nothing in return, he says, you will have a great reward, and here it is. You will be acting the way the children of the Most High act. For God is kind to ungrateful and wicked people. Jesus 
is telling us that generosity is about more than considering percentages or tax codes or return on investment. Now, I want to say something about this. Our finances are important in generosity, and percentage giving is a wonderful tool to have in our toolkit. It has blessed me and my family as we have learned how to be tithers over the course of the last several years. That has been hard but good and faithful work. And if you're a percentage giver, and if that's helpful for you, I know I got a lot of financial type people out in the out in the audience today, out in the church today, sitting on couches, that is a good tool to have in our toolkit. But Jesus says, if that's where your generosity and that's where your faith stops, is whatever money math you can do, whatever formulas you can get your hands on, whatever ROI you can calculate, if that's where the generosity stops, then we're not going far enough. Jesus says there's something so much bigger and also so much simpler at work here. Do you want to know what it is? Jesus sees the impossible value of every human life. And the reward is that when we see people this way, when we love our enemies, when we do good, when we lend to people expecting nothing in return, the reward is that we get the same eyes as God has. We get a heart that beats in rhythm with God's. We begin to live like the children of the Most High. We begin to have compassion for people in the same way that God does. You get to share in the love of God in a tangible way when you live generously like Jesus. That's the reward. For Jesus, it's so simple because when you care about people that much, everything else falls into place. Suddenly, you know exactly what to do with your resources. Suddenly, you know exactly what to do with your life and with your time. Suddenly, you know exactly how to spend your days because when you see people and you see the world the way that God does, it becomes so simple so quickly. Jesus calls us to more than money math. We are called to generosity that is grounded in, do you see the capital L there? Grounded in love, and that's God's love. Jesus cares about people deeply. Jesus cares about people, and I want to care about people in the same kind of deep, profound, grounded in love way. More than my money or more than my possessions, I want to care about people. More than my fear or my insecurity, People matter. More than my political leanings or my social standings, human life and dignity, human life and dignity, especially the life and dignity of those living in poverty and oppression, they matter more, Jesus says. And so in closing, my friends, I want to invite you, just as Jesus has invited us in the Gospel of Luke, to love and to give deeply and freely to further life and dignity for the children of God in this world. Because Christ says, if you ever find yourself being too generous, if you ever find yourself giving too much away, being too compassionate, then praise be to God, because you are now sharing in the heart of God. We're called to a generosity that is radical, that is selfless, that is grounded in love. Give deeply and freely, my friends, and your reward will be a heartbeat in rhythm with God.